The blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. I'm Adam. And today we have another album review for you. We are going to be reviewing what Rolling Stone called the 159th greatest <laughs> album of all time out of a uh, course of 500. Mm-hmm. That may be about right. Uh, and that is the 1983 album Synchronicity by The Police. Uh, this was their fifth and final studio album before the band broke up. Uh, if you know anything about this, the band had a pretty tumultuous past. There was a lot of infighting. I've seen some different um, like interviews at different times or like when they've tried to like get back together and stuff. And you can mm-hmm. just tell, man, sometimes they spit fire at each other. Like Sting and and Stuart Copeland do not like each other. Sting and Andy Moore, I think whatever they think. Andy Summers. Andy Summers, yeah. Like they do not they do not get along. You know, I mean that's if 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 a little bit of uh uncomfortableness on their part gave us uh, some pretty good music, then that's fine. Yep. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> now probably they've probably mine. grown past it, but at the time it was just right. kind of funny. Yeah, I know that they've they've um, come back together a couple times mm-hmm. uh, for different tours. In fact, I happened to see their very first performance back together after their initial breakup, mm. I believe, and that was at the 2007 Grammys, uh, which I was actually lucky to be at. Yeah, very cool. Um, at the Staples Center, which I was up in the rafters and very far away, so everything was very small. So, But it was still cool to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to hear them, and they oh, they sounded great then at the time. Um, so this is an album that I actually mostly got into when I went to college, more than you know when I was younger. I was definitely familiar with a lot of these songs, but I really, really got into the uh, listening to the album as a whole when I was in college, probably my f- second or third year in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what if any, experience did you have with this particular album? Or The Police in general, we'll say. The Police in general, of course, I had experience because of watching MTV and listening to the radio, and that was mostly it. Like, this wasn't an album I remember getting play at the house, and so it's not one that I I had any experiences with particularly. So um, I am very much a surface level. I enjoy The Police, but i very much a surface level, singles-only kind of guy. So the album was released on June 17th, 1983. Uh, It was recorded uh, in two different studios in Montserrat and Quebec, and it was produced by The Police and Hugh Pagum, Pagum, I'm not really sure how to say his name, uh, who uh, Mix Magazine in 1992 voted him the top, one of the top 10 uh, most influential producers. Uh, he's uh, produced Phil Collins and Genesis, The Human League, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, an 80s band who I only remember one song from, but yeah. I remember it being pretty big. And then, of course, Sting and The Police. And he, along with Peter Gabriel, was one of the guys who pioneered the gated reverb drum sound, which is what gave us the In the Air Tonight drum solo. Oh, okay. So him, it was him and Peter Gabriel and another producer named Steve, Steve Lillywhite. Uh, they, I think they were working on Peter Gabriel's album, and they came up with the gated reverb 
sound, hmm. and then that was used by Phil Collins later <laughs> yeah, for one of the most famous drum fills mm-hmm. of all time. The band is Sting, uh, also known as Gordon Sumner on bass, <laughs> Andy Summers on guitar, and Stuart Copeland on drums. And I can say, as someone who, um, as a drummer, Stuart Copeland had a big influence on me because what he does in this band is pretty unique sounding. The band itself really considered themselves a reggae band at the beginning mm-hmm. um, because the whole, if you know anything about ska, ska and reggae made their way over to England in the late 70s, um, which is how we got the second wave of ska in England, and that eventually made its way to New York and how we got That's the right. third wave of ska in the 90s uh, in the U.S., uh, and each each time ska has moved to a different location, it's taken on a little bit of the influence of the area where it went to, and so the part of the reason why the Police was a was a reggae band was ska and reggae had kind of really moved into uh, the London and England area in the late seventies, which is what influenced them. Yeah, it's pretty interesting i actually remember i you have talked about stuart copeland before a li- mm-hmm. at least just a little bit about like how how reverent you find his drumming to be you think it's very interesting it is unique it is absolutely unique and it's very difficult to replicate mm-hmm. it's very difficult to replicate and it's 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 interesting in that you listen to it and it's choices that you or you know me as a just a playing drummer probably would never had made Mm -hmm. you know the places where you think well just a regular beat would be good here and then he he takes a lot of that reggae influence and i'm sure some of some of his uh, jazz influence as well and throws it in and he's not only is he technically so good he's creatively interesting which is what i love about him sting i love his songwriting i like his singing his bass playing it's fine yeah, basically uh, fine. <laughs> uh, but Andy Summers is a pretty influential uh, guitarist. Some of some of his parts are really difficult to play. Yeah, I read, um, there's one one of the songs on here. I think the guitar kind of stands out mostly for me. But um, right, but yeah, I, I'd say I I'm the bit of the voice of like the regular people. Like sure, when you talk about Sting or you talk about the Police. You're just like, oh, it's Sting's band. It's just Sting. Right, and you don't realize how important. Andy Summer and and particularly for me, yeah, Stuart Copeland. I actually tried to listen to this album, trying to be like, okay, John really likes Stuart Copeland, and like he and because you've, I, I don't think we've had, maybe we've had this conversation or something, and I've brought up or something about the fact that like, no, the Police is not the same without Stuart Copeland, uh, right? And so I tried to particularly listen to the drums, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, just really breaking down his stuff, it sounds like. Unlike most any other drummer, in particular rock drummer that I've heard, yes, I hear a lot of the 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 reggae tone or tune, or it, the reggae influence and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I really, really particularly liked his style. I actually ended up after I listened to the album, went online to like look a little bit more about up about him. Um, I want to recommend there was a there's a channel called Drumio, um, and yep. they have a channel called The Genius of Stuart Copeland, and I watched that. It's about 20 minutes long. I watched. It, I was like that's pretty damn good. So yeah. it's very interesting. And I, I don't want to discredit anything about Andy Summers playing. Cause it is in itself sure. also very influential. And I think Andy Summers gets the same treatment that Alex Lifeson gets, which is from rush okay. where Getty Lee and Neil Peart are like mm-hmm. somehow the standouts 
of the band and Alex Lifeson sometimes gets pushed to the wayside a little bit as far as notoriety goes. But if if we don't have these three members, if we don't have Sting and uh, uh, I almost said Alex Lifeson <laughs> again, if we don't have Sting and Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland, it does not have this sound mm-hmm. and it's not the same band. Now, now watching some of their interviews... They're interesting people. We all know Sting is an interesting dude, but he also comes across as a little bit of a pretentious dude to me. And so does Stuart. Yes, Copeland, <laughs> he's a he's like he's more of like the American Dick, um, pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> so and, interesting stuff. You know, and it, 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 I mean, it just goes to show you don't ever meet your heroes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I I'm sure in a lot of ways they're they're very nice people, um, but it, they have they definitely have an attitude that comes across as a little bit dickish. Yeah. Um, now, other than seeing that one random uh, performance at the Grammys, which I didn't know we were going to get, and I, you know, it's kind of hard to say, like, I saw them in concert, because I didn't. It was just a one-off. I did go see Sting uh, here in Las Vegas when he did a short residency, um, and it was quite a good show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was that was not just the police stuff. I think he only played a couple of police songs. He played a lot of his own solo work. Mostly, but he did play a few uh, police songs, and it was fine. It was a good concert. Uh, all right, Adam, anything you want to add before we jump into the tracks? Sure, a few things here. Uh, so the title of Synchronicity, and actually a good bit of like the some of the material for the songs that Sting wrote was inspired by uh, Arthur Kessler's book, The Roots of Coincidence, which actually brings up Synchronicity, which is the concept was first introduced um, by the. Uh, analytical psychologist Carl Jung, um, which is to describe circumstances that appear meaningful, rela- meaningfully related, yet lack a casual connection. So, like, that's just kind of what the idea of synchronicity is. Uh, the album itself reached number one in both the UK and the US charts. Uh, it was eight times platinum in the US, and it won the 1984 Grammy, um, or at the 1984 Grammy Awards, it won the award for best rock performance by a duo or group with vocal. And one interesting thing I saw uh, on Wikipedia, at least apparently, um, the band members recorded most of the basic tracks for this one in separate rooms. So that the way that they, they did it live, though, but they were all right. in separate rooms for, for most. I think some of them they had to do um, differently. They just, you know. Right. Uh, but for most of it, they're just they're separated, which the uh, producer or whoever said it for, for two reasons it attained the attained could attain the best sound for each instrument, you know, based sure. on that thing. But also Isolation. for social reasons, he said as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as you already mentioned, this album was uh, added to the 500 greatest albums of all time by Rolling Stone, and also on their 100 best albums of the 80s. Um, and I will say, this is as I think I already mentioned, this is my first time listening to the entire album. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started with one of the title tracks, uh, and that is Synchronicity 1. So I really like this song. I think it's a really fun driving start to an album. 
I agree. It's an interesting start to the album. I don't love the song, nor do I hate the song. It's right in the middle for the of my feelings of like it's a pretty fine song. Very synth heavy sound to this yeah. one. <laughs> um, you're right. Very driving. It's in, it is actually released as a Japanese only single, um, so it did get released, but just not in America. Um, and it does feel. It feels weird. It feels experimental, but mm-hmm. that's not meaning it's bad you know i think police and particularly kind of what do you know of sting experimental music is a normal thing for him yeah and so it kind of having these different sounds throughout this album i think makes sense and this starts off as a i don't know yes it's like a definitely weird synthy 80s feel to it but it's it's i agree it's not or I, I it's not bad but i don't i don't think i love it like you love it fair enough fair enough and i think i think some of that synthy stuff at the beginning has a very percussive element to it and I think that's what always drew me to the song yeah all right so I'm gonna a full disclosure here Adam for the longest time when I did when I used to listen to this album I would pretty much skip from synchronicity one to synchronicity two and then finish out the album so a lot of these songs <laughs> two through five are a little bit not, I would say like I I had less experience with them they're also by far the worst tracks on the They album. are by far the worst ones. Yeah, and it, it, like, it ain't close. This is one of those weird things where normally the front half of an album is like better than the back half. This yeah. one is the almost almost the complete opposite, where the back half mm-hmm. is where all the really good shit is. Yeah. Um, but we got to get through it. <laughs> so let's go to the number two song, Walking in Your Footsteps. So this song for me has two elements to it. One, it seems a little bit more like a projection of the things we would get from Sting's later, yeah. more solo-y stuff. Also, it sounds like he took a fucking children's song and turned it into... Dude, the first thing I thought, I was like, was this Raffy? It's <laughs> like, holy shit. Why fucking dinosaurs? So I, I looked up the lyrics and I kind of okay. like, I tried to parse out what the meaning of the song was. Um, and to me, it's it's he's going through this whole thing about the dinosaurs, about they're larger than life. They're super powerful creatures that ruled the earth. And, the, and you know, the, the mentality for the dinosaurs was that it would be that way forever. But then they became extinct. And now similarly, man is walking in their footsteps because we are the most powerful creatures, you know, on earth right now. Um, but we are also bringing apart our own doom and our own extinction because he particularly calls out the atom bomb at one point. I think mm. that's the parallel that he's sure that he's tying to like we you know we're all gonna we're going to suffer you know from our own hubris if you will and blow ourselves up and like you know just remember the dinosaurs they owned this earth and they're dead now and that's gonna happen to us that's what i got from it but the vibe that's the thing i respect that message though i respect the message it's the the thing is is like the the way the song goes i mean it, it has that 80 cent thing but the the melody that he sings sounds almost folky yeah, like it's a like it's a dinosaur. Yeah, we're gonna do da dee da do. You know, yeah, it's it was it was very kid song. <laughs> it was, yeah, 
maybe I need to go give that song another listen. But the whole thing about like the brontosaurus that he, he mentions at one point, like it's just uh, like it takes me out a little bit. I mean, it sounds like he's just going to sing about different dinosaurs. It's, it's right. a dinosaur song. It's a Raffy dinosaur yeah, song. It's a Raffy song. <laughs> Which, if that's if he went full Raffy, I yeah. might respect it more. Fuck yeah, for going for that. But uh, all right, <laughs> let's move on to the next one uh, fuck. called Dude. "Oh My God." <laughs> Um, there were some interesting things yeah. about the the sound of it, the sonicness of it, but ultimately, I say for me, the song really didn't do much. Um, for me, I, you know, I'll throw this into the same vein as Synchronicity One, in my opinion. Okay. Um, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. It definitely has a more poppy sound to this one. The bass was a little mm-hmm. bit more prominently featured. Uh, it's about a lot of like questioning of faith and God and things like that. It does. It ends weird though. I don't like it. It kind of ends up devolving into like this strange sax and drum set. Thing at the end mm-hmm. that I didn't care for, but this song was all right. This was on the better half of the lower half of the <laughs> of the uh, you know of the front half. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and the, yeah. Oh, yeah, I just I don't want to get to the next one. I don't want to fucking get to the next one, John. That's that's where that's where I was I was getting so grumpy because I thought, oh my god, was the next was the next one, but then I realized, oh wait, it's this next one I hate so much. All right, well let's talk about it. And <laughs> it's called Mother. Adam, to me, this sounds like a shitty Talking Heads tribute song. <laughs> I can see what you mean. I absolutely see what you mean. It's hot garbage, though. I don't I, know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, I, I this is the first time I heard the song, and I wasn't expecting it, because police have a sound to me. Right. It's not this. So this one was, what, written by Andy Summer, right? And that's, is yes. he, he was who was speaking? I don't know who was doing it. As, as far as I could tell... It doesn't actually. They haven't. They haven't credited anyone with mm. the singing on it, because um, actually, even in uh, even in this one in the personnel, it just says who they are. Uh, it doesn't say what they play. Yeah. So it could be Andy Summers doing the vocal. It could be Sting. It doesn't matter who it is. It shouldn't have happened. No. It, it actually it really much reminded me of like when the Who allows like Keith Moon to write a song. Like uh-huh. he was just fucking the guy was just on drugs and and made weird shit. And I thought this song which obviously is about a frustrated mama's boy when you listen about it. Yes. It was awful. It was just yeah. it was stupid. It was awful and it did not belong on this album. No, and I mean I I'm taking a big guess here, but I would imagine that the 
maybe the producer and maybe even some of the executives might have tried to fight to get this one off <laughs> the track. And, but at this point, the police were already pretty much at their pinnacle. And they were also part of the producers and probably said, no, this needs to go on because mm-hmm. um, they were trying to be artistic or something like that. And, you know, there's something there is something to trying to be artistic. And even if it doesn't land, but what I'm not sure what he was trying to do, but it definitely didn't land for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on, thankfully, uh, to the next one, which is one that Stuart Copeland wrote called Miss Grandenko. Grandenko. I didn't mind this one. And I think maybe coming off of Mother, it was a welcome change. <laughs> that might be the only reason why you didn't mind it is because it's slightly less shitty than Mother, but it is this one sucks too. This one sucks. Uh, what I appreciate about it is the the vocal rhythm has a more reggae sound to me. Um, and I think coupled with the way that he drums, it feels like it's a little bit more of a... a a backslide to the to the reggae roots, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, but yeah, it, other otherwise it would be an absolute insta skip for me, and was. Yeah, you're getting that some world. You're right, some reggae, some world music influence on this one. Um, so, Rolling Stone instead of instead of the song, it's a it's a novelty about secretarial paranoia in the Kremlin. I guess, or someone also read that it's admittedly about forbidden love in a totalitarian regime so i guess maybe some some of that cold war stuff or something Mm. i'm not sure um i did think it was funny enough i was trying to look up some information on it apparently there's a villain in the spy kids universe named miss gradenko um that i i think works for the oss or something but i'm quite certain is a nod to this song (laughs) okay so yay they got they got a spy kids character named after them but this is (laughs) this is not good but luckily Luckily, everything else after this is legit quality. <laughs> I I totally agree. Uh, and let's go ahead on to the next one, which for me is probably my favorite song on the album. Okay, might actually be my favorite police song of all time, uh, and that is the sister song to the first one, Synchronicity <laughs> Two. Adam, I love this song. I think I, it is so masterfully crafted. It's got a great drive all the way through. And the fact that despite the fact that it's a five minute long song, it doesn't necessarily feel that to me. I really like this song. Yeah, I got excited because it was finally one I recognized. Um, <laughs> it hit number sixteen on the Billboard Hot One Hundred. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a strong one. I wouldn't call it my favorite on the album, but I sure, do. That's fine. I do very much like it. Um, it tells the story of a father who's home and work life and environment are kind of getting depressing um, all while, while he knows 
you know, that something somewhere has to break. Um, meanwhile, this monstrous thing is aver- is emerging. They say kind of from a Scottish lock, obviously kind of right. alluded to Loch Ness, but I think I think honestly alluding to him um, becoming mm-hmm. like this monster, maybe this suburbanite killing his family and himself. That's kind of the vibe I got. <laughs> um, but something's going to explode. But yeah, I mean, it's a good song. You're right, good driving song. It doesn't. You're right, doesn't feel long at all. Right. It feels good. It's a. It's and I watched the music video. It's kind of weird. It's just mostly just the band playing. Sure. Um, it, it felt like it was the aesthetic of Waterworld without any water. <laughs> okay. If they went crazy in a fabric shop, that's what I got. <laughs> like, it, it, it was strange, but it, the song is is good, very good. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one, which might be the most well one of the most well known songs uh, by the Police, and that is. Every breath you take. Every breath you take. And every move you make. Every bond you break. Every step you take. I'll be watching. Every single day. And every word you say. I think we pretty much universally agree that the the speaking character in this song uh, is Creeper. Oh, yeah. This is this is not maybe just the most quintessential police song. This is like the most quintessential stalker song of all yes. time. <laughs> but, uh, but aside from that, it is a fantastic song. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's produced well. It's written well. Everything about it from the relative simplicity of the parts mm-hmm. to the really great singing on Sting's part in here. It really just makes it a masterful song. Yeah, Sting himself said about it, like the tune itself is generic an aggregate of hundreds of others, but the words are interesting. It sounds like a comforting love song. He said, I didn't realize at the time how sinister it is. <laughs> yes. Um, because yeah, he's also mentioned that it's about a s- obsession with a lost lover and jealousy and surveillance that follows. Mm-hmm. Um, the song was, Huge. So it went number one in the UK, in the US, in Canada, Israel, Ireland, and South Africa. It was the biggest song of 1983 and the fifth best-selling song of the entire decade. Um, so this was a this was a huge one. It hit number. It was number 84 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest songs of all time, and it won a Grammy for Grammys for Song of the Year and the Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, from what I read. You know, it's definitely Sting's signature song, for sure. It's like his best, yeah. best well-known song. Yeah. Um, and in 2010, it was estimated to generate between a quarter to a third of Sting's music publishing income. I'm sure it, some of that also has to do with the um, its use in Puff Daddies. Oh, well, that's sure. Well, yeah. You know, if he allows it to get used in other stuff, he's going to get royalties from those songs used yeah. as well. So, absolutely. Um, and in t- May of 2019, it was recognized by BMI as being the most played song in radio history. I'm not sure I agree on that. Uh, uh. It, it might be the, one of the most BMI played songs in okay. radio history. Fair How enough. about that? Maybe that's sure. the case. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, this whole thing was written uh, from an aftermath of a separation of his marriage to Francis 
Tomalty, Tomalty, and the mm. beginning of his relationship with Trudy Styler. Uh, apparently, their spit, split was pretty convert- controversial. The the problem being, he was already married um, to Tomalty, to Francis Tomalty at the time, who happened to be Trudy's best friend. And uh. Sting and Francis lived next door to Trudy <laughs> as well. Uh. Um, so, yeah, so for several years before, you know, there was obviously, there was, there was, he was having an affair at some point. Uh, and he went away, Sting went away from the public eye, and he retreated to the Caribbean. He went to Jamaica. He went to Ian Fleming. He wrote the song on Ian Fleming's writing desk at the GoldenEye Estate estate in Jamaica, at like Ian wow. Fleming's estate. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, this is right. a song. Yeah. No, go ahead. Finish no, it. no, no, no. You, you, I talk too much. This is a song that I've tried many, many times to learn the guitar part for. And this is the one where my relatively short, chubby fingers uh, do me a disservice because <laughs> the way that Andy Summers' um, hands have fit on the guitar for this part, you really have to spread your fingers really hard, really far away, and it hurts my hand to play it. I just can't. I just And I just stopped mm-hmm. just because it, it, it hurts. It hurts yeah. to do it, so... So I read that the uh, recording process was particularly tough on this song for some reason, and they just that maybe it was just that the tensions were high between right. the band members. It, I saw that apparently Sting and Copeland were get just at this point hated each other and would get into both verbal and physical fights in the studio, <laughs> and they almost they almost canceled the recording sessions. Uh, they do have a music video. It feel it's not like the. It's not a great music video, but it's a good one. It's yeah. basically just black and white, and they're all just kind of standing in this dark room, and you know Sting's got it playing upright bass and whatnot. It's it's a it's a solid, and it got a lot of play um, because right. the song was super popular. So yeah, all right, let's move on to the next song called "King of Pain." This is another one of my favorite police songs. Yeah, this is probably the one I'd say is my favorite on the album and maybe maybe my favorite police song. It's so good. It's again, it's another one where it the music feels relatively simple, but it just works. I love the I love the sound of the guitar here cuz it feels like he's playing almost muted. And we're getting some kind of like reverb and delay effect on there. It makes it really work, but man, I just, I, this song always makes me, I don't even know what it's about. It just makes me feel good when I listen to it. Oh, okay. Interesting. See, I, and I get like a, that, that emotional side of it, you know, like you're the king of pain. Like, you know, everyone's gone through I, some bad Yeah, moments. I, I kind of get that point, but yeah. I'm going to, I get, I, this is where maybe my music background is a detriment where I can't pull myself out of listening to the intricacies sure. of what Copeland and, and Summers are doing. Mm to really take in the message of the song. That's fine. That's cool. It hit number three on the Billboard Hot 100, 
And Sting has mentioned like about writing of the song. It was kind of during that's again, that separation with his wife. I conjured up symbols of pain and related them to my soul. A black spot on the sun struck me as being a very painful image. And I felt that was my soul up there on the sun. It's just projecting your state into the world of symbolism, which is what all poetry is about, really. Um, so, sure, he was he was feeling particularly painful. Uh, there was a music video made for this one, but it was only released in Australia for some reason. Okay. Uh, and uh, Alanis Morissette actually covered this song on her MTV Unplugged album in 1999. And I listened to it. It's not as good. Her version, right. I love Alanis Morissette. Her version's not as good as, as the right. original. So, well, I mean, there's some people's voices just don't translate to cover sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on up to the next one called Wrapped Around Your Finger. This is another song that I really, really like. It's probably on the lower tier of my favorite ones of this album. Sure. Um, but when I'm in the right mood, this song really hits me the right way. It feels as a really good blend of pop with reggae tendencies without it sounding too reggae. Yeah, I, I get know that, that makes chill any... reggae vibe from it for yes. sure. There's something there. But you don't get that sort of reggae swing that... You get it. It's it's more straight, but we're still like you can hear the reggae influence in it clearly, and yeah, it's it's chill and it it feels like it has a pretty dark message. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's the sense I get from it. Yeah. Um, But it it is uh it is a song that I I do like to kind of chill out with. uh, Sting has described it as being a spiteful song about turning the tables on someone. Uh, who had been in charge. So yeah, there is something kind of dark, I guess a little bit about to it. So yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a good one. This is a good song. You're right. It's, I, I like it. I don't like it as much as some of the previous ones we had talked about, um, but it is still a nice, you know, um, slower kind of chill song, but it is nice. Uh, the music video is the band, like they're playing kind of in this room full of candles and they're kind of, they're in basically slow motion and they're jumping up and down and sting eventually like knocks down a bunch of candles and that's it. That's the music. video. It's fine. It's pretty, I mean, it's good visually, but it's also Mm -hmm. just like, it just feels kind of weird. And we're going to move on to the penultimate song called tea in the Sahara. As if our minds are deranged, please don't ask us why beneath the sheltering sky. This strange obsession You have the means in your possession See in the Sahara with you See in the Sahara with you 
to me, the song was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I, there wasn't too much to it. It definitely sounds more like what we're going to get from Sting a little bit later uh, from his solo stuff. Um, but it's 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 one that I've always had no problem listening to, but like I never pay attention to it when it's on because there's nothing about the song that really grabbed me too much. Uh, for me, I got a very you're right, very Sting you know solo career vibe to it. But it I got a very but it still has I don't know very distinctive reggae sounding drum aspects yeah. from Copeland. Cop- Copeland definitely can still he. He sticks to that reggae mm-hmm. feel for the police, even despite whatever else is going on, mm-hmm. which I think is really what gives the police their sound. Sure. Um, I also I got a very it's an ethereal feel to this one for me. And actually, the yeah. guitar stood out for me on this song. This is the one where this the guitar almost had this I don't know wobbling kind of thing to it that was just kind of uh, that really added to that ethereal feel. Um, so I, I ended up liking this one actually pretty decently. Okay. Um, it hit actually hit number seven in Poland's charts. That's the only area that it charted. Uh, it was inspired by Paul Bowles's book, The Sheltering Sky, uh, which the first section of that book is called Tea in the Sahara. And in it, uh, the character Port is told a story in which three sisters wait for a prince to join them for tea in the Sahara Desert. Uh, but the prince never returns. And so that's pretty much. So I think Sting had done a lot of reading. And mm-hmm. so that inspired quite a bit of, uh, of his stuff. Yep. Uh, and that... I believe if you had the vinyl version in 1983 is where the album would end. Um, The next one didn't really show up until the the album was released on cassette and CD, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that was the version that I'm most familiar with. Exactly. Uh, So we're going to talk about it, and it is called Murder by Numbers. If you can slip a tablet into someone's coffee I think I used to dismiss this song, but on the viewing this this time, or not viewing, the listening this time, I really kind of got into it. It has much more of a jazz feel to me. Yeah. Um, almost like almost free jazz, where he's he's kind of he's a, when he's singing, he's a little loose with the rhythm. He's a little loose with his tempo when he's singing, and I I kind of liked the premise of of equating um, murder to color by numbers essentially. Yeah, uh, exactly. That was pretty interesting. Um, he's, he's talking about. It's definitely got a dark satire on. I think I would say the inhumanity of killing. He's kind of bringing mm-hmm. up, you know, he's talking about this murderer who and just you know, oh, it's not that hard to kill, and you just kind of keep going, and it kind of devolves into a serial killer, and then it kind of injury even pulls up to the big bad, which is. Um, congratulate to killing and war and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's a line for murder is the sport of the elected, which obviously is a dig on political war and things like that. That's a great line. I like that. It is. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you're right. It was a jazzier feel and I think, and I kind of liked it. It actually kind of fit pretty well for me as like a a change of pace, but a way to end things out. So I dug it. 
Uh, all right, well, let's jump into our final thoughts, and Adam, I'll let you go first. Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, I hadn't really heard much of the other stuff besides the singles on this one. Um, and yeah, that's probably what I'll still mostly stick to afterwards. But I found myself liking some of this other stuff. I mean, I like, yeah, Murder My Numbers, uh, Tea in the Sahara, and uh, even Synchronicity 1 and Oh My God were all pretty decent. If I if I had this album and I wanted to get it, I would just probably delete Walking in Your Footsteps, Mother, for sure. I'd delete that one as many times as possible. <laughs> um, I'd stab it to death. Uh, and then Miss Gradenko. Um, but besides that, everything else is solid. I can kind of see... You know, when I, and, and here's the thing. When I first started listening to it, I was like, how the fuck is this album listed so high right. as every, you know, on so many lists? And then it was the back half. And you're like, OK, there are there, you know, without question, more of this album is good than not good. Yes. And even a good bit of this album is great. And so I can see where it fit. Um, you know, how it got there. And so, yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad I listened to the stuff that I hadn't heard before. And like I said, other than those few tracks, I thought this whole thing was pretty darn good. Largely, I'm with you. I still tend to kind of stick to songs that I pull out. Oh, I never pull out, John. <laughs> hey I I'm not going to respond with my immediate reaction. That would be mean. Uh, but I agree with you. There are... it. I think if you're listening to this, if you listen to this album, it can be disheartening at first because at first you're like, I don't really don't recognize some of these. You get a couple of weird songs in there, mm-hmm. but once you get over that hump and you get to Synchronicity Two, everything from the back half is good, and a, and a good number of them are great. I think that's a, a good way to put it. I also I'm already a fan of Synchronicity One, so that helps. Um, I would probably just pull everything I really liked out of this album into a big playlist and just go for a, a through a police yeah. playlist or something like that, um, which I haven't made yet, but I think now that I've done this, I'm going to, because there's a lot of other uh, police songs that I really, really enjoy. Um, but as far as albums go, um, I think this is probably one of their biggest albums and might be one of their most significant albums, even though it was their last one. And maybe that's why it's significant because they're the last. And I think it's a fantastic album, you know, mother aside. (laughs) Mother. That's all I think of when I hear that. Which made no sense. No sense. Like at all. But uh, overall, I found it to be a fantastic album. Uh, All right. That was our review of Synchronicity by The Police. Please join us next time for an all-Star Trek episode. Adam and I break down the 1996 film Star Trek First Contact, discuss the TV show Deep Space Nine, and instead of recasting, we both pitch our own Star Trek shows. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, and if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. 
We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found.